All right, folks, it's uh, been a hot minute since our last episode, and we apologize sincerely for that. Uh, it has taken a little bit of time to get all the research together for this one, and also life happens. You know, there have been other things going on as well. So we've taken longer than we wanted to, but we've finally got it together, and we hope that you enjoy it. We tried something a little different with, uh, with our approach to... Um, to the style of dialogue. Uh, we decided to break up the story with a little bit of commentary rather than save all of it for the end. I think we both found that we were maybe forgetting some important points that we were wanting to address by the time we got to the end of the story. Uh, and this was perhaps a better way to actually just address all of it all at once. And uh, yeah, we hope you very much enjoy what follows. Hello, and welcome to Ungodly, the Magical Grimoireum. How are you, Besh? I am fantastic, and how are you, my love? How was your time on uh, on Jim Harold's podcast? It was good, and um, my name's Avery, by the way. Yes, yes. <laughs> People should know this. <laughs> um, it was super great. So, uh, yeah, I went on to Jim Harold's podcast, and it was episode 516... Uh, I think it was called uh, She Didn't Know He Was Dead. Oh, thank you. (laughs) She Didn't Know He Was Dead, um, which is a really cool episode, by the way. Uh, And uh, Jim was so amazing and so nice. I was so nervous. Um, But we seem to have some new listeners after that. So thank you and welcome. So exciting. We appreciate Um, you all. (laughs) And we appreciate you, Jim Harold, too, because that was very cool to... To, to hear my wife's story and, and with all the others, it was just a beautiful thing. So, mm-hmm. and, good opportunities. Yeah, and um, the story actually ended with me just kind of being like, you know, like after I talk about um, cardinals and their connection to my friend who passed, Lisa, um, they, they seem to pop up every time, like I kind of bring, yeah. bring, bring up the topic. Um, and I said, so like I'm kind of interested to see like if that will happen after uh, speaking to you, Jim. And uh, it was really cool because like the week, two weeks after that, just I kept seeing random cardinals, uh, not not in the flesh, but in really weird ways. Um, like I started a new job and this woman had a dress that had cardinals all over it. And Which is rather specific <laughs> a pattern to wear. And then uh, Besh and I went camping, and that was really cool. And on our first hours of getting there, we noticed that there was uh, little, like, pecks in the ground. And we were like, is this bugs? Is it a woodpecker or what? And then this woodpecker with this bright red crown comes in. And I think it's called a pileated woodpecker. Um, but he was just chilling there so close to us, hopping around us like for so long. We got so a picture. Big, so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And brazen. Yeah. So if we can find that photo, we should put it up. But that was really cool. And then uh, weirdly enough, I was looking at uh, just preparing for this show. I was like taking a break and looking at Facebook. And somebody I know, her and her daughter were walking and they just saw this the same type of woodpecker and they just went like right up to it and apparently that's really weird that like these woodpeckers usually aren't like this but they went like inches close to this woodpecker same one giant beautiful red crest for those who don't know and then they're uh, sort of like black and white like kind of modeled big big 
Yeah. So I don't know. I kind of took that as like, like we don't get Cardinals here um, mm. in Alberta, but uh, there's my, my Cardinal, my Alberta version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the redness of the bird was still there. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, what else have we got going on? Oh, well, it's, we just passed um, autumn equinox, right? No, autumn Yes, yes. Yeah, I always get that. <laughs> <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> Which I think is, that's Mabon, right? Hmm? In, in like, which is tradition that's Mabon, or pagan tradition Mabon? Uh, you know. I think I'm so. Gonna, I'm going to assume that you're correct on that one, because <laughs> I'm, I'm still waking up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on our way to Salon, which means we're on our way to Halloween. Yeah. And... Um, I don't know. Uh, right. Like I was talking with you about how we're setting up a bit of a goal and we kind of want to, if we can get, uh, wait, what was the goal? I can't, I can't remember. (laughs) 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 Oh, right. We we want, we want at least a hundred people to subscribe and review. Um, yeah, well, because uh, it's been fantastic that we've had so many new listeners, and we feel deeply appreciative of all that. We also want to hear back from you, though. We want yeah. feedback. You know, it's not just for our fragile little egos, but so we know how to do this just a little bit better. This is uh, at least my first go at a podcast, and uh, yeah. I think it's your first go at this too. Yeah, and so. um, and and we'll make it worth your time. We'll take you for your word if you you give us a good review or whatever. But we want to like uh, make a little gift packet of some magical things that'll be really cool and we'll show mm-hmm. um, on our social media and maybe we'll talk about a little later. Um, but yeah, so let's do a countdown to Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I swear, he doesn't have COVID, folks. I'll be all right. <laughs> Coffee went down the wrong pipe. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yay, countdown to Halloween. I'm feeling obnoxious, so um, maybe we should just get into the story now. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan, my love. I'll uh, put on my ventilator and we'll, we'll get going. <laughs> Okay, so um, a prominent character in this, uh, basically the main character of this story, is Tituba. And I got a lot of information, um, besides stuff that is well known, um, about Tituba's story from a scholarly article, journal article, and it is called Tituba's Confession, the Multicultural Dimensions of the 1692 Salem Witch Hunt. And this is by Elaine G. Besla. And in that, uh, she has a lot of original quotes from Tituba during her confession, which I actually used in the story. Very cool. So these quotes, uh, they were in the transcripts printed in Salem Witchcraft Papers, verbatim transcripts. That's by uh, Paul Boyer and Stephen Nessenbaum. Nice. That sounds like some interesting source material. Yeah, it was really cool to go through. Um, it was kind of funny because uh, this story is so like information dense that I had to keep going between typing on my computer to looking at this 
journal and uh, on my phone and like screwing up my eyes a little bit <laughs> but it was nice it was a very nice and a nice trip a nice journey so <laughs> um yeah and with that here is Tatuba's story sounds good my love i'm looking forward to this Tatuba howled and whimpered towards the small town reaching the outskirts she loped into the lights of an old chapel on the grounds of an even older castle's ruins its facade was all but completely black, having been mysteriously set ablaze in 1333. If it weren't for the lights, the chapel would be nearly impossible to see in the darkness. A voice came from the shadows of the arched doorway. What's wrong, child? It's conspicuous enough that there is a wolf running to my chapel. What's this howling? The shadowy figure, the bishop, held open the door for the beast. Upon entry, the wolf swiftly morphed into the form of a young woman. Tears streaming down her face, the bishop threw a blanket over her and waited for her to speak. Gone, Tatuva croaked. Behanat is gone. A true wolf finished him. The bishop, standing in another off-shadow part of the chapel, dropped his head and began to moan. No, 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 poor wretch. The predictions were right. I was to send you to watch over as Behnat spied on the Conmarie. You gave a good fight to save him? It was now her turn to lower her head. I did not have time to fight. The attack was vicious and quick. There was just a moment to grab his report, and then I ran here. The bishop left the shadows to walk parallel the sconce-lined walls toward the back of the chapel, where he started to light, the ca light some candles, presumably for Bahanot. In the glow of the candles, Tatuba could see that the bishop's waxy cheeks were also wet. Not once had she seen him cry since she'd arrived at the doorstep as a young woman. Tatuba wasn't from Europe, or even from the continent at all. She was a native South American who was enslaved in 1680 at 12 years old by the clergyman Samuel Paris, and then in 1692, she was the first female to be accused of witchcraft in Salem Village, Massachusetts. It was the young daughter of Reverend Paris, Tatuba's captor, who accused her and set the witch hunt ablaze in Salem. Much, much into the future, people would come to understand the scientific causes of mass hysteria or conversion disorder. Young girls and women seem to be particularly susceptible as this group societally lacks outlets for their frustration and stress, causing symptoms such as fits, dizziness, and stomach issues. The behaviors catch on and bam, mass hysteria ensues. Stress brought on by crippling responsibility, intense religious pressure, or an overbearing authority figure are usually of the culprits. Unfortunately, in Tituba's time, folk magic, aka witchcraft, was still prominently used and added to the fire of the trials. In February 1692, Elizabeth Paris Nine, the Reverend Samuel Paris's daughter, and her cousin Abigail Williams, eleven, screamed out in pain babbled, had convulsions, and had the sensation they were being pinched. Salem Village's physician, Dr. Griggs, checked out the girls and suggested that witchcraft was afoot. Later that month, a neighbor appealed to Tituba, the slave, to bake a witch cake and feed it to a dog. Dogs at this time were seen as a witch's familiar. According to folk magic, the dog would have become bewitched by the cake and revealed the sorceress who had cursed the girls. The witch's cake ingredients were as follows. Rye meal, urine of the afflicted, ashes. 
If anything, this magic backfired. Elizabeth and Abigail's symptoms got worse, and they were being pressured by townspeople to say who'd harmed them. They named Tatuba as the witch, and she was promptly arrested. By February's end, Abigail named two others, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne, women who were seen as quarrelsome and problematic in the community. So I gotta say, first of all, that does not sound at all like a tasty cake. No, it sounds like it made the girls worse. I, I imagine it would have, yeah. Um, so, uh, urine isn't actually sterile, people, if you didn't know that. That's um, uh, a wives' tale. Yeah, if if you're in an absolute pinch and it's a survival situation, try to boil it first. For God's <laughs> sakes, people. Be careful with your pee. But I do find it interesting that uh, in the Koryak tradition, the shamans... Sorry, what's Koryak? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, the, the, the Koryaks were uh, a group of shamans that lived in uh, Siberia. Um, I suppose they still do. And it's probably mm. rude of me to dismiss them that way. So yes, the, the Koryaks are a group of shamanic people who lived in the, in the Mongolian steppe and in Siberia. Mm. Um, and they, they have a long tradition with Amanita muscaria, where they do the old pee in a bucket after eating the mushrooms and then keep peeing in the bucket and everybody pees in the bucket and drinks from the pee. So that, that was what that brought to my mind anyway. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not to not to laugh at these old practices or anything. Um, I'm sure they had their own sort of magic to it. Uh, yeah, but you also have to then fight science um, in this case. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably urine's probably something that's not going to make people feel better. No, no. But I mean, it does lead to interesting phrases like "mad as reindeer piss." Mm, very. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then this next part that we're coming up to is the part um, that's in the court scene, which actually contains quotes from Tatuba's confession. Oh, uh, before we continue, I was going to say mm-hmm. uh, these these names are quite familiar to me. I'm wondering, are these the same characters that were mentioned in the Crucible that most of the yeah, I believe, are familiar with. Right. Um, I actually didn't read it in high school like you, um, even though we went to the same high school. But um, yeah, I believe I believe they are from what from what I know. Okay. Because he took he took from the author's a man. Yeah. Took from those. Yes. No, I do know this. He is a man. <laughs> took from those characters. I didn't want to just jump in with a yes without thinking that through, and I'm still waking up, but... (laughs) All right. (laughs) So the court scene. In Tatuba's confession, she said she'd met a hog, a black dog, a red rat, a black rat, who asked her to serve them. She knew it sounded asinine, but she was doing what she had to. Reverend Paris, who had been trying to exercise the girls through prayer, became vehement after the witch cake incident that it was all Tatuba's doing, and when she denied being a witch, he beat her to confess. Your Honor, Miss Good has a sickly-looking yellow bird, a cat, and a wolf as a familiar, and Mrs. Osborne has a bird with the head of a woman, she said in the makeshift courtroom. She was being strategic. She knew that Abigail had talked of seeing this entity how it had morphed in the shape of Mrs. Osborne in front of her eyes, apparently. She also spoke of an evil group she'd come in contact with from Boston who included two women and a man. They hurt the children and lay all upon me, she said, desperate. 
Tituba's main strategy was to say outlandish things and to divert attention by casting the net wide, geographically speaking, confusing the hysterical investigation. Unfortunately, her imaginative accounts set off like wildfire. Both the accused and accusers extrapolated from her account and embellished with fantastical details. You see, the Puritan society of Salem was a theocracy where God reigned supreme, forget due process, and to object to the existence of supernatural and evil was complete heresy. In particular, though, they glommed onto the image she conjured of a devilish man, of the devilish man from Boston. He's a tall man, has white hair, and wears black clothes, she said, the townsfolk said. He's tall and brown like an Indian. Nah, darker than midnight he is. Cue the original satanic panic. By blaming people outside of Salem, Tatuba sought to protect both herself and other innocent people. Incidentally, Tuba was supernatural. She was a shapeshifter, in fact, of the wolf variety. It might be recalled that she listed a wolf as one of Mrs. Osborne's familiars, an ingenious move to detract from her if she were ever to be spotted while in form. Back to the courtroom. Tatuba closed the hearing with her pièce de résistance. That was terrible. With her pièce de résistance. The Boston group must be stopped or children will fall ill. The devil is coming to them. As she uttered these words, the afflicted girls who were present fell into fits and shook uncontrollably. Tatuba turned into stone, appearing to be in a trance, and would not answer any more questions. A chill ran through the courtroom, and the day's session concluded. So I find it interesting that uh, she specifically mentioned the animals that she did at, at the beginning of this little bit here, because mm. that carries with it, to me at least, connotations of alchemy. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the black dog and the red dog, you know, the rubella and negra. Um, it seems like she wasn't just pulling random things from a hat to save her ass. It seems like she was talking about something perhaps a little more metaphysical that was just taken as a merely physical or physical spiritual manifestation. But that's, that's just a little side bit. Apart from, you know, the old chicanery of, of these trials to begin with and, and what an absolute fucking farce every bit of that has been. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I I do think that it's really interesting how um, people go absolutely ape shit. There was, there was a story in Canada recently. Um, I'm going to avoid naming names, but uh, a woman who had been... Uh, found guilty of, of murdering her child uh, was released after serving her time and um, she suffered a, a severe fit uh, I guess it was a result of PTSD and postpartum all kind of coagulating into one horrible horrible moment mm. um, but ultimately she had served her time and she was released back into the community and uh, when that happened most of Canada went nuts and it, it was so it was so telling how people would talk about how they'd rather have her head on a pike and they're talking about this as if that was a good thing and not recognizing that 
they're railing against this woman for violence that they perceive that she did with no no mind whatsoever for what violence it would take for them to accomplish their self-righteousness. Sorry, say that again. They like, like they, they, they she fully, wasn't in her right mind. Correct. But they while being hypothetically in their own right mind, the public. Yeah. Uh, they're calling for execution and, and you know burning and all this it, being at least if not more sadistic than the violent acts that they were so appalled by and i find that that kind of carries over with the the witch trials as well right yeah <sighs> yeah um i don't know i find it i just find it really really sad and um especially with the european witch trials like it's kind of basically to me whenever i think about it it's like using women mostly mm. as like pawns um yeah. for political or religious means and yeah there is an inherently misogynistic nature to it yeah um but I do think like that kind of comes from insanity and like, I don't know, I always talk about how a lot of people in um, like higher up positions in the world, like they're usually like psychopaths. Mm. <laughs> I shouldn't say usually, but it's more way more common that people in those positions are psychopaths. And I, yeah, it's just really sad that um, people can take like uh, some tender parts of humanity where like we're not at our best as people um but then they can really use that um to create like stress and panic um for like means that what they want you know yeah yeah like i i don't imagine that the ceo of Loblaw has lost any sleep when people were panic buying toilet paper you know it's probably just like (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and in salem it was it was a bit different there was like some tension because there was salem village and salem town right um and they were just kind of like leery or weary leery of each other um and so there's already some technical malfunction from my foolishness of not plugging the damn computer in <laughs> we have returned to recording <laughs> yeah um so i think i was talking about um like the political forces or religious forces that might have affected this round of witch trials in the usa Mm-hmm. And and uh, I believe you're talking about the the distinction between Salem Village and Salem Town. Right. Yeah. So there is that whole part that um, Salem Village um, was basically the farmers, and then they were kind of um, not sure about the townspeople in Salem Town, the or, town of Salem. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Salem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ah, and. <laughs> Um, so there's just like, uh, 
you know, because of taxes and stuff like that. Um, uh, so that was already like kind of an undercurrent. And then this new reverend came into town kind of recently, um, which is Samuel Paris, the one that enslaved Tatuba. And um, of course, they uh, like there had been kind of this like um, reform um, in the church and Puritans were thinking that the Church of England, um, that uh, King Henry VIII kind of um, uh, instituted or whatever, um, that it was too similar to the Catholic Church um, with their rituals, etc. Yeah, if, if I remember, he wanted all the smells and bells. He just wanted to include divorce. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Th- th- they're very against all, all, all those rituals and everything, or they were. And um, so anything that's ritualistic, so of course witchcraft, any like hint of that um, is very distressing at this time to Puritans. And, um, and it's kind of ironic when you think about it, because like the, the Puritans and the Quakers, like we often associate as being the same. It's not necessarily so, because like, there were the, the Puritans, as you mentioned, that were branched off from the, the reformist movement later on to become the Protestant movement. Um, but it, the Quakers, like, they were called that because they went into this, like, sort of Corabante-style, like, delusional, epileptic trance state oh. when they were contacting God. And and so it's so strange that they were so against ritual, and that's, that's clear use of magic for a connection. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I think they really did, uh, believe in evil, therefore the devil, therefore supernatural. So like I said in the story, if, um, somebody were to even object to like the existence of the supernatural, um, that would actually be seen as heresy. Like it would be seen as Mm -hmm. going against the church. So yeah, like God himself is technically supernatural, right? Yeah. So yeah, that too. Yeah. So they had to like, people just were really sucked into this, like either like accusing people or being accused. Um, it's crazy town. It is. It's, it's <laughs> a crazy a, village. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible what, uh, what theology can, can send us on. Mm-hmm. Chases for, you know? Yeah, definitely. Accused witches were hanged, 19, died in prison, 5, or in the case of Elder Gilles Corey, pressed to death. All the while, Tatuba remained in her prison cell for the duration of the year. On one strange day, gazing out of the barred windows, she saw a man being dragged towards the prison. He was a toady-looking fellow, wearing striking bright lilac robes that dragged behind him on the ground. The man was still fighting when they threw him into the cell across from her. He said, Salem, in 1692? Of all the hellish places to end up. No matter, I will escape, you'll see. Through death you will, you vermin, said the large guard. Alone in his cell, he put his hands to his temples and screwed up his eyes. Sir, sir, stop that, said Tatuba. They say the trials are coming to a close. The fits have ceased and folks are becoming weary and doubtful of the chase. 
Although I'm sure you and your odd attire have stoked the fire some. I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm focusing my intentions. You'll see. I can get out of here just as quickly as I popped in. I'm Franz Anton Mesmer. I can walk through walls, you know, and now I can time travel. Not really sure how it happened. I was gardening of all things and pop! The man let his arms fall to his side and his thoughts looked to be a hundred million miles away. Tituba believed this man to be insane and thought he was very likely not a wizard, as he seemed to be suggesting. In either case, she thought it would be prudent to divulge in him. She hadn't been able to talk to anyone about her secret ability, and this mesmer person was probably going to be very quickly sen sentenced to hang. Tituba said, Well, if you can time, tra time travel, you're odder than I am. I'm a shapeshifter. Some people might call me a werewolf. This caught his attention. A werewolf? By golly, are you going to be able to get out of here? They don't know about my condition, of course, she said. Actually, I'm free to go if someone pays my jail fees. But it certainly won't be that Samuel Paris, the one who enslaved me and, and sealed my fate. At Tatuba's sad conclusion, Mesmer tutted. Do not worry. I've met a woman tri time traveler, admittedly more skilled than I, Blavatsky. I'll be able to petition her to come to your aid. When you get out, you must go to the bishop across the pond. He will be able to protect you. Astonishingly, Mesmer was right that with some focus he could zap out of there, back to his time, and he kept to his word about sending help her way. So, pressed to death. Mm-hmm, with stones on, put on top of him. Uh, yeah, that was uh, this old man, Gilles Corey, uh, one of the men to be sentenced in, in the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, like, of course I feel for him, but I, I almost, in a way, also feel really terrible for what was presumably a young executioner who had to lift the heavy stones and place them upon this old man who had done nothing wrong to the executioner. You know? Yeah, I actually read a book about, um, sorry to interrupt so excitedly, but no, I read a book about this like old timey executioner and just all the executions he did. He like recorded them in a, a black book and it was kind of cool because the publishers of today printed it in a black book and um that's a very grim grimoire <laughs> yeah and you start reading it and like you're just so shocked and then near the end of it of the book you you're you just start to feel like like kind of queasy but also you're not really taking in the shock of it all and i imagine that that's kind of how it gets for executioners and kind of how um the little breaks in the book, uh, uh, sorry, in his uh, accounts, um, how the author just kind of explained it. Like you just kind of get immune a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There was a, a book that turned into a, a show or a movie, I can't recall, called Iceman, uh, Confessions of a Hitman. Hmm. And yeah, very similar sort of a thing where it was just detailing how you get from your first kill to your desensitized to the point that you can level a whole flam whole family and go for pancakes you know? oh my god so strange so strange yeah my eyes twitching <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh then yeah of course Franz Anton Mesmer popped in and I got like the inspiration 
for this from you, Besh, who uh, was telling me about how he went a little bit crazy. This is the guy who was in, uh, started mesmerism, even though he didn't really like the term. Yeah, yeah, uh, hypnotizing people and animal magnetism. Yeah, animal magnetism. Um, And so, but then he started doing these shows in Paris, I believe, and other places. And yeah, yeah, Paris, London. His his ego was a problem. And he would go a little crazy with it. And he actually wore these lilac robes, like in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) At first, in my head, I pictured like bright blue robes and like it seemed like it would be something like that and then I googled it and I actually found the color and it was bright lilac robes um so that was cool it's kind of like kind of what it was was, you know similar kind of feel in my head Mm -hmm. um just like really ridiculous and (laughs) um so he would bounce around on the stage like you said and then um he would like bop people on the head with wands yeah (laughs) and be like you're a kid yeah yeah he, he was he was almost like a like the Richard Simmons of hypnotism in a way. Mm. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing and amazing enough. Uh, yeah, <laughs> comparison. <laughs> he was he was really really adamant and ecstatic and theatrical about things and just yeah, as you said, yeah, just bouncing and bopping around, <laughs> <laughs> just bonking his audience on the head. Oh my god! <laughs> strange character, but I bet it was a hell of a show. <laughs> Years later, Tatuba stared at the bishop in awe. He was so stricken with grief for the spy Behinat's passing. Maybe he truly cared for her too. I needed more from Behinat to know more of Kansara. I was so close to having information that the Count of Saint-Germain would want in return for his knowledge of immortality. Tituba's mouth fell open. Come, Tituba, the bishop said. You must know that's why I look this way. The magic I found has prolonged my life, but I'm slipping. He turned to her and she was forced to take in the face that was so often hidden in the shadows. It appeared to be melting, or rather, it was melting. It was worse than ever, his gel-like skin slowly succumbing to gravity in gobs. Pustules speckling his face and hands were popping before her eyes. Tituba, he cooed. Believe. I am not your lord, but believe in me. I will find a way to everlasting life. And you, my child, you might be my key. The Count might have use for you, your type of magic. And I'll get what I require. I must try. Time is so much of the essence. My body cannot hold much longer. Tomorrow we travel to Saint Germain. Something broke into Tuba. She began to shake. Just like Elizabeth, the daughter of the overbearing reverend, the girl who fell into fits that sent shockwaves through Salem and put Tutuba in prison. Years of Tutuba's life had been taken away, forced into servitude of one kind or another, forced into succumbing to fanatical white men. The bishop had little time to react as Tutuba changed into her beast form and carved away his face with her spectacular teeth. Damn! For their character, for their labor, yeah, and, the users. Mm-hmm, There's and, too many of them in the world. Yeah, and like that st- 
still pertains to today, but like really, really fuck Reverend Samuel Paris for literally going to take Tatuba away from her home and bringing her yeah. to Massachusetts. I believe, or actually, I think he, I say Massachusetts. <laughs> Some people do. I'm not going to okay. say Massachusetts. <laughs> Massachusetts? No, not, not Massachusetts? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone from there. <laughs> that was actually a mistake. I just literally can only say it like Massachusetts because that's, I, I will try and change my ways, actually. <laughs> Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I just said that. <laughs> We'll, we'll sort this out after the podcast. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I, or, anyway, he brought her to U.S. And I'm not sure um, exactly what um, place he was in first before going to that to the state of Massachusetts. So we don't know where Tatuba comes from originally? Oh, I think it's Barbados. But I said Barbados. South America just to oh, okay. not say it. anything incorrect. Oh, okay. So, so we think that, but of course, records aren't exactly... The clearest at that point in time. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good to know. <coughs> so, Barbados. I'm, I'm inclined to wonder if maybe her ancestors come from a little further back in a Yoruban tradition or a Yoruban adjacent tradition. Uh, it was very prevalent West African magic and there, there was uh, strong, well, I say was, is a strong belief in magic and uh, the ability to shapeshift, um, which I find absolutely fascinating. I was actually going to mention, there's, uh, I'm sure a lot of people already know about this, so sorry if I'm wasting your time on this one, (laughs) but (laughs) I didn't know about this and I found it absolutely fascinating. There's the the tale of the nine-tailed fox. Now this occurs in a number of different cultures. it comes up in Korean lore, in Chinese lore, in Japanese lore. Uh, there's a number of places where, where the name differs, but the idea is the same. And it's, it's almost always exactly the nine-tailed fox. Mm. So in uh, Korean lore, the one that I found the most interesting when I was researching this, uh, it's called Kuhimo. And um, it's, it's very similar, like I said, to the, the Chinese Huijing or the, the Japanese Kitsune. Um, but if a fox lives for 50 years, then it can do its first transformation. Now, the idea behind this is that it becomes not necessarily human right away, but it can, it can cleverly shift into seeming to another being like something other than a fox. Right? Hmm. Um, but a fox can only become a Kuhimo by living for a thousand years. So they have to be so clever that they evade all all form of uh, peril hmm. for that long. So they have to actually utilize this ability sufficiently to get to the point of actually becoming a Kuhimo, just by being a very old fox. Very cool. And it sounds to me almost like Tatuba was perhaps in her own way a very old fox. Um, like, so... If, if the fox, uh, again, going back to the Korean tradition... But she was 12 when she was first taken. So like yes, maybe yes, they, the, the, the human part of The her. human, yeah, it is very, very slowly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the ability to say what 
one year that we would call a collegial year feels like to a fox. Mm. And obviously this part is fictionalized. There's no accounts of her being a werewolf. No, but maybe Shapeshifter. Shape. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to the, the, the Korean tradition, uh, if that fox, if it refrains from killing and eating meat for 1,000 days, uh, then it can transform into a human being. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Now, typically, when it does so, it becomes uh, an attractive woman, and it uh, has a, a proclivity for seducing, or at least the, the folklore says that it turns into a, an attractive woman, has a proclivity for seducing young men and uh, devouring the, the heart and the liver, specifically. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, personally, I think that's just some post-red misogyny. Hmm. I don't, from what I'm looking into it a little further, I don't, I don't think that's actually part of the original, um, whatever it might be that this archetype is based on, let's say. Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, yeah, there's, there's some cultural things that need to be considered, but I'm going to try and treat that a little sensibly. But this is what I thought was the most interesting part of the Queen so they're they're unique compared to like the the Huijing or the uh, Kitsune from Japan or China, um, backwards respectively, uh, because of the uh, what they call the the Yawu Gesu, uh, which is a uh, the fox marble. Uh, it's supposedly it's the like an actual pearl, like a physical pearl hmm. of all of the knowledge and wisdom that uh, the the fox or the the Kuhino has acquired and obtained over the course of a thousand years of living. Wow. Or a thousand plus years, right? Um, and so <laughs> what's interesting about this is how they would convey that. So the Kuhimo would approach a human and just start French kissing them. Wow. And they would take the pearl from their throat over their tongue into the tongue of the human and and just like plant it in their mouth. Why? So that they could have a taste of the knowledge. Of the human's knowledge? No, no, so that the human could have a taste of the fox's knowledge. Okay, so what I'm thinking is this is really cool that, okay, so you didn't even know where my story was going when I was writing it. No, Um, no, I didn't. And and you didn't, so, so I wanted to pester, but I thought it would ruin. Yeah, like well, we discussed a little, kind of a little bit where we wanted to go with it. Um, but I don't think you knew exactly that I was gonna say that the bishop wanted to use tatuba as some sort of piece of uh no. key or whatever to get information from Saint Germain, like to use her like as a tool or whatever. Right. Yeah. And. No, I did not know because of her like knowledge so to use her key or whatever and you're talking about this fox that has this pearl which kind of is like this huge key yeah, of knowledge right. yeah yeah, yeah very weird it, it's so strange it's so strange so um like what happens is when they when that uh the kihimo the fox kisses you uh with that pearl it normally people kind of choke on it a little bit and spit it back up and then, you know, 
your encounter is pretty much over at that point. <laughs> yeah, you're like, crazy lady, just put something in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quit choking me with marbles. <laughs> but no, no, if, if you swallow it, and if you, like, I think it requires being aware of what the situation is, but if you swallow that pearl and you mm. take it into yourself, then you obtain within your own being the, maybe not the abilities, all of them, but the knowledge and wisdom of uh, that at least 1,000-year-old Kohima. Mm. So when that happens, you're supposed to uh, immediately observe sky, land, and people. And if you do that, then you gain all of the abilities. Like observe literally? Like watch the sky, land, and people? Uh, Yeah, but like from from a state of... uh, like what Gordon White would call right relation. Hmm. Um, so, like, in reverent connection, I think would be the way to put it, to observe in reverent connection. Um, but yeah, it has to be immediate and in that order. Sky, land, then people. Okay. Now, obviously very infrequently is that going to wind up being the case because... You know, as soon as somebody pulls their face away from you, their face is in front of you. It could be immediately blocking the sky. Mm-hmm. And that's why most people don't get the ability to, to shapeshift. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because if you don't do it in full order, and it, like the, the, the sequence that it needs to be done in, then you, you gain some abilities, but not the whole kit and caboodle, so to speak. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's observing the sky, supposedly... Uh, with its vast expanse and the, you know, the morphability of clouds and everything like that, that gives you the ability to shape shift and to, to transform into oh, whatever. Oh, I see. Oh, that is so cool. I know. It's so a, Korean lore, that's amazing. Yeah, beautiful transition. Mm. Or tradition. We are really, really having tr- trouble with our words today. Yeah, like, thanks, Mercury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was talking about this when we weren't recording for a second, but at uh, in the morning, Besh told me like oh like uh by the way the power is not working on the whole top floor whatever and um then it quickly came on luckily so that like I could look over the story um however after that we noticed that like we weren't speaking properly for the whole day and just tripping on our words we didn't like focus too much on it but it just like it kept happening and happening and it's still we're really tripping on our words so it's almost like we switched mercury being in retrograde and messing with electronics and electricity and we like switched that in for having trouble with our mouths yeah well i mean the the mercurial god of communication is yes, that's so right. fucky. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it, it, we went old school with what it affected yeah. <laughs> in terms of communications. Uh, so I also wanted to, uh, because our, our story touches so much on shape-shifting, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to, to hit on this idea and just bounce it off and see where it goes. Oh, cool. Um, so some biologists are claiming that animals, or at least certain animals, seem to be, and I'm quoting them, the biologist, shape-shifting. What? Yes. Uh, in response to the climate crisis. 
So, Whoa. for example, certain birds are uh, developing like larger and longer legs to help with thermal regulation, uh, give them more more area to exude heat. Is this in the span of like the last hundred years? Less. What? Yeah. Oh, that's nuts. Yeah, like we're talking generation to generation evolution. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So okay, this is kind of weird. Sorry to interrupt, but I just it's kind of. I think we had this discussion before. It, is, it made it sound really silly, guys, but <laughs> like uh, I feel like I've had weird instances of just like wishing, like when I was young, that my curly hair was straight, and then it it would go really straight for a few years, and then I'd be like, oh, I really actually miss my curly hair, and then it would get curlier and curlier over time. <laughs> no, really, and just like weird thing, like you know, girls are very insecure, and I would just have very weird uh, guys are too and, uh, thoughts about like my body or how body or how far apart my eyes were and stuff, and it like things actually. Thank you. But things actually did tweak a little bit, which is really creepy. But I did notice it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe maybe this is the right time to bring this up. Uh, my my first encounter with magic actually, um, when I grew up, I I had like these giant bulbous eyes in a very tiny head, and uh, as you know, my eyes tend to be for the most part very blue. Mm-hmm. That wasn't always the case. Previously, it was not just for the most part, but like perpetually, always very very. Very, striking very, very, very blue and like you were you were uh pulled over and like, like all the children time of the corn style like fucked up <laughs> <laughs> yeah and people were just like oh my god you have such beautiful eyes son it became very very frustrating and annoying <laughs> every clerk in every store that i went to with my mom would just be like oh your eyes and i got so frustrated so by the time i was uh eight um I decided that it was it was time to, to cast my first spell, and it was to change the color of my eyes. <laughs> and so I, I did a little candle ritual, and I was like, yeah, I know I can't ask for something drastic. Like, I know they're not just going to suddenly turn black or anything, but can it just not be always, like, this specific blue? Can it just shift gradually one way or the other towards something adjacent? At <laughs> least just shift. Be variable, please. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it worked. And you know this very well. You've you've seen it go from green to gray to blue. Yeah, no, they, to violet sometimes. They definitely change. It's it's weird, but they're beautiful. But that's nice that yeah, you get a break from people constantly talking about them. It, yeah, it was it was a little invasive, and I think my mom was the first person to notice. Like, why have your eyes gone gray? <laughs> <laughs> It's not even great. Wow. Yeah. yeah like cool. A, yeah. Um, yeah. Got a little sidetracked on that. I like that story, though. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so what we were talking about uh, just previously about the, the birds uh, and, uh, and other animals, like, responding to, to climate change and these evolutionary mm-hmm. things, I don't, I don't like that the biologists chose the word shape-shifting for that necessarily because I don't see it that way. I think of it as uh, a rapid response emergency evolution. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's a biological imperative. You either adapt or die. Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so but what if what if this has perhaps been the reason or the impetus or even the mechanism 
for some or perhaps even all of the shape-shifting in lore. Uh, you know, like <sighs> 1,000 years is a long time for a fox to live. Uh, plenty of time for a series of evolutions to take place. Um, perhaps it's all drastic circumstances calling for drastic responses in an abnormally immediate and, and urgent manner. You know, like respond to different crises. Like maybe there were perhaps other climate crises in the past that we could respond to, or mm. uh, perhaps it was something more immediate. And, and, and well, this is very immediate. The climate crisis is seriously fucking immediate. But, you know, more uh, pinpointed. Uh, that could be also the situation. And, and um, yeah, I just wanted to know what you think about that. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, um, what was coming to my head? Of course, um, this world of magic is coming into my head. And um, I once listened to this really creepy account. I think it might have been on Jim Harold's campfire. And um, if, if not, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs> but a podcast and uh, this person when they were little, they, their parents had brought them to this viewing of, of uh, a family that was going to speak to the small intimate group of people. And apparently they just look very dead in their eyes and like just, just this darkness was cast over them and they basically were like, we're pretty much vampires. Like we, we do feed off of energy and that's how we survive. And just this little person, just of course impressionable, but they also were like, it's something like I'd never felt before. Mm. And who knows if the story is real. And I would like to credit you person who said it, but um, uh, I'll try and we'll try and put that in the show notes if I can figure it out. But like if a grain of that is true like um just yeah it just shows that there's all these other creatures maybe that have evolved in certain ways and some of them darker um in in order to survive during throughout history you you, we just don't know it could all be you know (laughs) hidden underneath yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was listening to... Uh, some, In the shadows. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to some, some stuff about uh, Bigfoot and Sasquatch and about how a lot of the theories lean toward um, lean toward them being magically oriented beings and ritually oriented beings, um, partly because of their, their calls and habits. Supposedly. Yeah, I think they're probably on a different dimension. That's why, like, they, they we just see that's, glimpses. That's yeah, yeah. Um, you know, even if you think it's silly, like it's not above the realm of possibility that something would be in another dimension. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, that is bipedal. <laughs> exactly. I, I think that it is, as you said. Uh, I guess, for lack of better words, yeah, another dimensional thing. Um, like it's it's an alternative possibility of where the where our genetic branching off could have gone. Uh, yeah. So, they they share the same genetic history as us, but not the same genetic future. Mm. And so they're sort of in a, a different biological timeline. Oh, that is so cool. And, and they so, might be more evolved in some ways, like more in tune with their earth. Well, I mean, they, they seem to know to bury their shit. 
are doing a lot better than a lot of human campers that I know. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to think about these these possibilities and that uh, I don't know, humans have this ridiculous notion. Like, I love Noam Chomsky in some ways and hate him in other ways. It's so absurd to assert that humans are the only ones who have language. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, how ignorant could you totally. be to the rest of the world? <laughs> yes, of course animals it's have language. It's just as ignorant to me to say that we're the only ones who have magic. And Fair. I think that, uh, you know, all sorts of birds show tons of magic. Oh my god, um, there's such little, like, um, uh, what, nymph? Is that the right? Yeah, like little nymphs. Mm-hmm. Pixies. They're pixie-esque. Yeah, yeah. And, and dryads and, and things like that as well, too. Very curious and also, like, mischievous. Mm. I, I'm thinking of a magpie in particular. I love magpies these days. Oh, yeah, yeah. I salute magpie every day. The people who know why know why. And mm. it's gotten to the point that magpies across the city actually recognize me, as you saw today yeah. when we were out. Really cool. <laughs> Um, so in, I'm sorry to, to bring this back up, but, um, in reference to your, your story from, uh, Jim Hamill's wonderful podcast, The Campfire, mm-hmm. uh, when, when she passed over, uh, Lisa, yeah, my Lisa, friend. Lisa shapeshifted into, into Cardinal for you or into Redbirds as a sort of general thing. Or, right? or she, uh, you spoke with the cardinal and got consent to deliver a message by you know right, physically yeah. just being around okay, me. That's, that's that's perhaps a very good useful distinction here because mm-hmm. uh, another thing I wanted to mention is uh, my dear friend Katie, who is uh, a wonderful artist and musician. Uh, she recently passed away, yeah. and you were you were of course there with me for her her funeral service, which I appreciate dearly. Um, of course, and. You noticed that that she also seemed to shape shifted or made a contract with. Actually, Sixth I think Street. it was your friend Mike who said it first. Um, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, I think you might be right. It was Sir Noble, Sir Noble of Charleswood, who <laughs> <laughs> noticed that she seemed to have become wasps. Or uh, wasps and other troublesome bugs. Right, yeah. One came right, um, we were holding hands, and it came right there, and then he was like, uh, oh, Katie, (laughs) (laughs) maybe. Yeah, yeah. Nice to meet your wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking about that, and uh, out of curiosity, Mm -hmm. if, if something horrific happens, and somehow I lose you soon, what animal do you think that you would choose if if they consented to, to communicate to me through? Mm, this is a difficult one. I well, I think okay, the obvious choice is magpies. Um, the prop the problem with that is they're so prevalent here that and already very communicative. Yes, so <laughs> like they would have to do some really insane stuff on the regular to get your attention, um, which might be hard for me to organize. <laughs> I have another problem with this, which is that I I uh, did a ritual with a nameless spirit, and that's one of the ways that they've chosen to communicate with me too. Oh, there we go. I hope okay. that it's not like your future past. <laughs> but 
Well, you know what? Maybe that's why um, didn't get a name. I don't know. We see blue jays together a lot, even though they're quite rare here. That's true. Um, but when we're out and about together. So maybe I would go with that. Okay. How about yourself? Uh, Corvids are hard not to choose. I mean, they're they're so intelligent and so capable. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think that if I was going to... And it doesn't have to be an animal, too. You like it could be um, a plant or um, yeah. purple cars or yeah, that's that's true. Like Carrie still speaks to me sometimes through rowan trees. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, the ones with the berries. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think that if if I had to choose, if it was to be an animal, I would rather communicate with you through a coyote or a fox, <gasps> because you you're not as likely to encounter them in an urban environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Even though we seem to. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happens when you live in high strangeness. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. If it was if it was a plant, I, I think it would be like some sort of alien-looking flower that you've never encountered. Something that just says, blah, look at me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'm not sure if I've got much more brain capacity on this one. Well, that this was is... really cool. I really enjoyed that. I wasn't quite sure where we were going, but it quickly became apparent that we were focusing on shape-shifting, <laughs> yeah. which is the essence of the story. She's a shape-shifter. Um, well, sorry, I shouldn't say the essence of the story. The essence of the story is the real Tatuba and all that she went through and how she survived through it. And she actually did receive bail from somebody who was not um, listed. So we don't know who paid her bail, but she did survive the witch trials. Yes, which is fantastic. And unfortunately, a slim majority of, or a slim minority of stories. Um, and it's, yeah. Shapeshifting, I think, is an interesting concept, partly because of how we as humans don't always do the best at being adaptable and changing to changing circumstance and facing new information with flexibility. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of where shapeshifting lore comes from, is when you find someone that is able to adapt to every moment right it somehow like changes the way that you think because you're used to thinking in a certain way Mm. yeah totally um talking about changing and newness um there is a possibility because we've never stayed anywhere haunted that we're going to have an opportunity to do together. that to get together, <laughs> but like t- specifically to go somewhere haunted to stay there. Have you done that? Uh, no, no. I've actually been kind of the person that's like, that's probably not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there might be, you know, an opportunity. And if, if it does come about, it would be rather soon. Um, we, yeah, definitely. If so, keep your ears peeled. Um, because we'll probably record there if we do get to do this. Yes. And a totally random tangential side note, just in case Les Stroud ever happens to listen to our podcast, can you get in touch with me about your experience in Nordic? That sounds pretty interesting. 
Ooh, and Alberta, shout out. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Let's hear about them local Sam Squatches. <laughs> so yeah, so and I think for that episode, we'll do we would do um, some re- real ghost tales, uh, sort of a thing. Um, maybe some Canadian ones. Maybe we'll branch out, but some interesting yeah. ones. Yeah. Speaking of being adaptable, we we were clearly a little more adaptable and flexible with our formatting on this episode we hope it wasn't jarring for the listener uh but it, it just seemed like it seemed like it was right to take breaks for discussion uh, as opposed to going the story the straight through as we have so far yeah there's a lot of um factual pieces of information in this story so it's it's a lot to take in but there was some important ideas so it made sense just to break it up yeah and in that note, as, as you were mentioning, we, we might break up the format with our next episode and do something just wildly different. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we're really excited for Halloween. Or Yeah, I definitely am. Yeah, I'm sure you are too, Bash. Of course, of course. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, if uh, you want to join us in our countdown to Halloween, please uh, leave a review if you can. And rate and um, let us know. And we'll when we have uh, something prepared, you will get a shot at winning um, a little a little bag full of magics. That's right. Maybe not necessarily a bag, but a, a thing we put together for your pleasure. It's something magics, and and when we say that, we actually mean it. It'd be cool. <laughs> Definitely. And <laughs> effective. Take care. And enjoy your thirty-two days to summon. You can check us out at un underscore godly podcast. That's on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram. It's at un dot godly podcast. All right. Thank you. Take care, folks. The following is...